0: When you go back to the coffee shop, you have tangible results to present to them. You say, well, you, why do you do it? Well, you remember last year we had a disaster. It could be Representative Litlow or Congressman Higgins or whoever it may be might have got involved, got this. We got this with our form bureau team, with our other commodity allies. We were able to get this back to the form level, we're able to address a problem help the farmers. And that's why we do it. And that's why we think everyone in agriculture should be a part of our organization because we represent any and all. And the more we can work together and the bigger and the stronger we are, the more effective we'll be at the end of the day.
1: Welcome to the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. I'm your host, Carl Wiggers. And today joining me on the podcast is Louisiana Farm Bureau third vice president, Richard Fontenot. Fontenot has been around Louisiana Farm Bureau for most of his life and we will discuss more of that in this episode. Also as a child Fontenot was very involved in Louisiana 4-H and FFA and we will discuss the importance of programs like that and how Fontenot still gives back to those organizations in this episode. We hope you enjoy it. It's a great conversation with Richard Fontenot on the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. I think I want to start, Mr. Richard, with your involvement in Farm Bureau. I, I don't know that I actually know this story. How did you get involved in Farm Bureau? I know it's been a couple of years now. When did you, when and how did you get involved
0: in Farm Bureau? Well, I guess you could say I'm a second generation Farm Bureau family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was parish president uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I attended Farm Bureau convention as a youth. Uh, I remember sliding down escalators on the mm-hmm. second to first floor. Um, before the bumpers were there, and uh, my mother was with the women's committee and did some women's leadership activities as well, and uh, they they ventured out. And then I got reintroduced to it back in the early nineties, late eighties, through young farmers and ranchers. Okay,
1: so reintroduced. Did you kind of did did your dad leave presidency, or did you kind of yeah, What well, just run he, off to college?
0: Well, he got off the board after a period of time, and as his family grew, he had other commitments mm-hmm. and. Uh, he stayed active in that role, but not as active as, as he wanted to be. But just uh, time constraints got him away from Farm Bureau As he, he as we had a very active board at mm-hmm. the time, a lot of a lot of rotations, a lot of different folks. And then we got involved, and he got too busy raising us. Yeah, uh, we showed 4-H livestock our whole career. we were four in a family, and. Uh, I don't have to tell anyone, back in back in the day, the 4-H program was a week for every show. It wasn't an in-and-out program like we have today. Mm-hmm. So our vacations and free time that he had, and he spent hauling us to livestock shows. <laughs> and we did the summer shows. We raised our own cattle and things of that nature. But So he concentrated on that, and I, and I appreciate him doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to get involved after college. I uh, had a lot of friends uh within agriculture field. And we talked about doing different things. Young Foreman Ranchers came up and a friend that was a 4 age friend that recruited me from the Soda Parish at the time and into this Young Foreman Rancher program. And I just, I just fell in love with what it does. It allows you to share your stories and concerns. And then Again, collectively come up to to resolutions, if you will, Mm -hmm. in in a variety of ways. And uh, I haven't left.
1: Yeah, it was kind of an extension of those youth programs, 4-H, FFA-type programs that you were involved in as a child that you said, wait, this still exists even after college. Real quick, did you come right back to the farm? Was that that kind of the plan coming out of college? Did you want to go back to the farm?
0: Yeah, that's it. I didn't have a direct route coming back to the farm. I always had options. Uh, My father encouraged me to look at different opportunities over the years. So when I would come back when I was in college, I I pursued a degree in agriculture business. I ended up finishing here at LSU in 91. Uh, But those summers i come back, I would do, one summer I did an internship with a chemical company. Mm -hmm. So I did some sales and traveling throughout the state within the rice industry. A couple of other summers I worked at a local lumber yard. Again, just different skill sets, different environments. So I didn't come back to the farm every summer, and so he didn't have that expectation, but I always had that option. Mm-hmm. So we came back in, and I basically worked as a laborer and apprentice through and with him and my grandfather at the time for quite a few years. And then '96 is when I actually put the pen and ink on paper you and put and your bought, name on I, the line. Put but half a, half of the operation at the time was was just him and I and uh and that operation has evolved since but Mm -hmm. nonetheless but i did put my first crop in 92 was the first crop i did put in
1: so pretty much following college you did ultimately come back to the farm.
0: I did, but it wasn't a, a direct route. In fact, at one time, I was even early on in my college career, I was thinking something in the medical field, maybe physical therapy. So I entertained some of those activities, looked at some different stuff, but uh, but I'd always circle back to agriculture. Yeah, um, I've always enjoyed the environment, the opportunities, and I've learned... Over the years, that it, it's you have good and bad, and that's and we very cyclish in terms of of our industry in terms of good weather, bad weather. This year is a good example mm-hmm. uh, of what a bad year looks like no hurricanes, but extreme droughts. We're on mm-hmm. the opposite end of the spectrum. So, to understand and respect those cycles throughout the journey, it's been interesting.
1: I hate to say it, but it's been 30, 30 something years now that you've been doing this. Have you regretted it?
0: Never a day. Uh, it's a lifestyle first and foremost. But agriculture is, it, you have to have a love, you have to have a passion for it, and you have to appreciate what you do. Um, we, we coined the phrase, I, I wake up every day to feed the world. And uh, that's an honor, and that's a privilege. And if I can feed my family, and have a living, and have a lifestyle associated with that, and accomplish all those things, I think that's successful. And that's what life is all about. Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Let's go back to your uh, youth. You were brought up, you mentioned 4-H, showing showing livestock and doing that. I know you still do that now, but tell me about some of your involvement in those organizations and how they've helped to make you, I mean, now you are the third vice president of Louisiana Farm Bureau. You've been a board member for a long time. You've been involved in Farm Bureau leadership for a while now. How did your involvement in those organizations as a teenager help mold you into leader you are today
0: the ag organizations at 4-h and ffa were instrumental in in more so showing me options out there outside of my little v dream community that i was born and raised in Uh, we graduated school very small school but i was exposed to some unbelievable ffa instructors unbelievable 4-h advisors that showed me Public speaking opportunities and contests, uh, did demonstrations at Achievement Day when 4H when I was fifth, sixth grade. Those opportunities, and, and with my FFA, we were on a, we had a state parliamentary procedure team. We won state a couple of years with a couple of guys. happened to be privileged to be part of that team. So the public speaking, the parliamentary procedure, the livestock judging, I did a small engine contests. We, we were very competitive with that as well. That's all different skill sets that I still use today and, and have allowed me the exposure and the, the courage, if you will, in many instances, to step up and be a voice and stand up for what, what we believe in, what we need to, because unfortunately, we're a small percentage of the population out there. Mm-hmm. And if we don't stand up and, and share our message, who will? So it gave me the strength and the courage to do a lot of those things in that youth development to where I'm at today.
1: Right. And I know you, just because I've seen you and been around you for a while now, I know that's something you're still very invested in and involved with, with Lance for sure. How old is Lance now? 17 in August. 17. So for probably close to a decade, he's probably been dipping his toe in some of those programs as well. Have you gotten to see kind of the same I guess, what's it been like as a dad raising someone else, raising a child in that, uh, in those programs?
0: In terms of having 4-H as one of the tools to expose him to new things, it's been, it's, been, it's life changing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, different, different, different youth have different interests. And we, we started out and the 4-H programs allowed us to share and be exposed to different interests. And once he's found something that he liked uh, we we kind of went down that path. and And the livestock program is uh, we showed market animals, and that program is something he really embraced and enjoyed, and it was something we were able to do as a family mm-hmm. and teach him the life skills of accountability, responsibility, and 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 the husbandry of raising livestock and the benefit of where it goes and its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other activities he really really excelled in was the shooting sports. He's an avid hunter and really enjoys the outdoors. Uh, we actually have done two of the shooting sports activities. One would be the shotgun, and the other is the hunting skills. Hunting skills is a little more elaborate, very diverse. But he's, he's really enjoyed, and I've become an instructor with both of those, and it's been really fun seeing he and the other kids take things and, and, and skills that they, they have and actually apply it to a 4-H contest mm-hmm. in an organized format and, and, and excel at their different levels and get excited about something that's second nature to them. And it's been really worthwhile.
1: It's also, I'm just thinking about this, it's kind of neat that they take skills that they probably already have and use for hunting, for example, you know, and then just find ways to apply it to something within the 4-H and be successful and find success. I think that's pretty neat. You as a dad, getting to see him do livestock, that's also what you did. I don't know, what, what animals did you show?
0: We showed cattle and in and, and Lance shows the market goats. Is that We're,
1: different? But it, does that kind of make you proud seeing him? Kind of, yeah, yeah,
0: it's fun. And anytime, anytime your your children follow you in some type of form, or fashion, or footsteps, if you will, it's pretty neat. And and my takeaway to him, and I tell him on a regular basis, and I share with my wife, is he's building friends and networks through the 4-H programs that he's going to use and mentor with different ones and and follow different trails along his journey. These are people he's going to network with the rest of his life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, today, I, I, still, I still visit with people that I started out in 4-H. You know, a young lady that, that uh, mentioned DeSoto Parish. We used to go and, and do things at the State Fair back in the 80s. She's the one who introduced me to Farm Bureau. Her dad was a past president of Form Bureau in that parish and we still visit today. So you build relationships that last 30 40 years through these programs. Mm-hmm. And as long as you in this this network if you will of agriculture, you build allies and friends that you're going to use the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. Not only do you, are you involved in, you know, the 4H and uh, you know, in coaching your Lance's teams and volunteering on that level, which is great to do. And uh, we had the 4-H in here the other day, some of the state officers, and they were talking about the importance of volunteers like yourself. But you also were, you just had a group of like a class, a school out to your farm to talk about what you do as a rice farmer, which we didn't talk about at the beginning, but you're a rice farmer in Evangeline Parish. You had a group of junior high kids, high school kids out to your farm to look at rice. Why do you do that?
0: You know, we had, we had a new school, a new program starting the parish, and it's an ingenuity program, and these, these young folks are interested in agriculture. And that's one of the disciplines in that particular curriculum that they have. And it's a new program, it's a grant they were able to get secure and, and put together in Villeplant. And the, the, the young lady that's an instructor there reached out to, to Rhonda and I and I said, well, look, we love to do field trips because these are kids interested in agriculture, can you do anything on rice? So they actually sent me their lesson plans on what they were studying in terms of plant growth and the grasses and legumes and the differences, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So I said, sure. And we put it together. And anytime you can share your story of what you do on a daily basis with any and all, much less someone that's interested in agriculture, these are sixth to eighth graders. They had the opportunity to put their hands in rice production, literally whole rice, smell the aromatic varieties we had. Look at the difference between long grain, short grains. But anytime we can share our story with them, that's a piece of agriculture they're going to take with them for the rest of their life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these individuals, if they have the, the, the gumption to be interested in and take part and do an extra step, these are the ones that are going to take that leadership role in agriculture somewhere, someplace down the road, whether it be NRCS, FSA, the Ag Center, a multitude of, multitude of dynamics that they can enter in. And if they're have if they're friends to rice, they'll be friends to rice for life. Mm-hmm. And, and they are part of the agriculture family at that point. So the more, we, more tools we can give them, the more exposure and more positivity and we can reflect on why we do what we do and how we do it. Then they have an understanding when they're going to be on the city council making a vote or in the legislature in Baton Rouge voting on agriculture issues. Hopefully they can reflect back. You remember when Mm -hmm. and and you build those allies and those resources for down the road.
1: One thing about this school and this this group that was out at your farm was really interesting to me is that they're not a lot of farm kids. They're not kids right with that background. So they're getting maybe for the first time to to step onto a farm to get close up up close with a combine or a tractor, or put these plants in their hands and see the roots. I saw you showing the difference in roots. And that's maybe their first exposure to that and understanding where their food comes from, but also seeing, like you're talking about, all these career potential pathways that maybe they didn't even consider before. But that's that's a really cool experience to be part of.
0: You know, anytime you can, because agriculture, we, we think of agriculture and farming as being kind of the nucleus, if you will. Production agriculture is the nucleus. But outside of that, you have legislative, you have agronomy, you have entomology, you have research, a multitude of dynamics as it relates to different layers. I call it the spider web effect. We have different layers. And as you expound out, agriculture still, production is still the nucleus. And we, our purpose and goal is still the same, but we need a lot of friends. We need a lot of industry, a lot of support to make that happen, whether it be working on conservation plans or working on a breeding program at the Rice Research Station in Crowley. We need a multitude of dynamics of folks to support agriculture so we can keep that nucleus alive. Mm-hmm. And this is what it takes. And the more we educate... The more we can interest in agriculture and the more we have better resources to train the, the, the top and the brightest folks in those, those fields.
1: That's a really great, uh, I guess, picture to paint. But what, did, what were you seeing? What were you hearing from the kids? What, what was their reaction
0: like? Some of the most interesting things was the fact that rice had an aroma mm-hmm. and they had different aromas as it relates to the varieties they looked at that day. The dynamics of the, the size of the equipment and how many people we feed. In terms of, of one producer and a multitude of things. One of the things they were really interested in is, is was the grain bins. They had an opportunity to look inside some grain bins and looked at the storage. And when I tell them, you know, this particular grain bin or silo, as some of the kids refer to them, you know, that's 218 wheelers in there, mm. you know, or 40 in here or 30 in here. And they like trucks like this. And I had a truck parked on site for them to look at and make a reference. Then all of a sudden... The wow factor set in, and and they got excited about agriculture. So anytime we can get someone excited about agriculture, I think we're going to be successful.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, when Avery came back, we did a story on it for this week in Louisiana Agriculture, and I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone listening. But it was a really cool story, and I was kind of fascinated by the, the school itself, but just also the way you articulated it in the story was kind of like you have already in this interview, but you're talking about That's the next generation, and and we have to do everything we can now to support them. And I thought that was just a really, really cool thing. Obviously, it's been something that you've been passionate about, even just in raising your own your own next generation. Let's talk more about Farm Bureau real quick, Richard. Um, You've given a lot of a lot to this organization as a volunteer, starting all the way back as a child when your dad was committing his time to his parish board. Why, after now thirty years involved in farming? probably that long involved in Farm Bureau in some capacity. Why is it still an organization that you as a farmer see it valuable to to give your time to?
0: Any time you can be a part of an organization that can grow, evolve, and include any and all as it relates to agriculture, you have a satisfaction at the end of the day, because we have, whether it be a legislative issue as it relates to a railroad crossing in a certain area of town, or if you have a drought or if you have, borders stuck up a river because you don't have the proper flow to move grain up and down the river, and anytime you can do and, and be a part of something that makes agriculture better and have a tangible results, I think it's worth your time. Personally, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a prodigy of farm bureau. I have an opportunity to do the Young Foreman Rancher Program. I've done it on the American level. Uh, I've, I've served on the state board on a couple of terms, and I've been opportunity to be on the executive committee for, since 2015. Everything that I've done has been building blocks. These building blocks has allowed me to understand and to be receptive and to, and to build the networks to make agriculture better at the end of the day. And I feel that whether we visit with the Department of Agriculture or the Ag Center or this Capitol or Washington DC, anytime we can provide. And, and be collectively talking as one voice for the betterment of agriculture, I find it beneficial to donate all of my time. Mm-hmm. My wife picks at me often, she says, because farming is my career, advocating for agriculture is my hobby. And if I had free time, and that's what people do with their free time, and, and I, I love sharing our message, I love sharing what we do, I love sharing the different dynamics, because we, we're so diverse in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. From not only the crop mix, but in terms of, of the regions and the climates and the topography, we all have different challenges. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, collectively, we as an organization can represent any and all. And we, we don't fix everyone's problems, but we have the opportunity to make everyone's problems more appealing in the long run or find some partial solution to most of them along the way.
1: It's, it's been really a fun job for me as a staff guy that's supporting and following the lead of our of our volunteer membership leadership like you guys. For you out in the field, you know, you get to talk to farmers every day because you're a farmer and that's what you guys do is you talk to farmers. I do that to a, a, a point, but you get to talk to your neighbors, other folks that maybe aren't as involved in Farm Bureau I guess, what do you hear from your neighbors about Farm Bureau? Like, do people ask you that same question? Why do you give so much time to Farm Bureau? To, or do most of the people that you talk to
0: get it? You know, anytime you're going to volunteer your time, your neighbor is going to wonder why. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this past year we had some success stories within Inform Bureau and some other affiliates were able to get some successful funding for uh, the rice industry mm-hmm. this past year. And because I do wear a lot of hats, I do I do actively and in, engage in, in USA Rice Federation and Inform Bureau. But when you put all those collective networks again, building the networks with the different commodity groups, and that's what Inform Bureau is famous for, and mm-hmm. they're very successful in building those allies to collectively go out and protect or support or help an industry as it relates to a particular issue that has developed. When you go back to the coffee shop, you have tangible results to present to them. You say, well, you, why you do it? Well, you remember last year we had a disaster. It could be Representative Letlow or Congressman Higgins or whoever it may be, might have got involved, got this. We got this with our form bureau team, with our other commodity allies. We were able to get this back to the form level. We're able to address a problem, help the farmers. And that's why we do it. And that's why we think everyone in agriculture should be a part of our organization because we represent any and all. Mm-hmm. And the more we can work together and the bigger and the stronger we are, the more effective we'll be at the end of the day.
1: Tangible answers, tangible results help sell things. What would you say in your time in Farm Bureau has been maybe something you've seen evolve? You mentioned that that's constantly, that's agriculture is constantly evolving. What's something you've seen kind of change and and get better, maybe the next step? Where do you see things going? I mean, I know it's constantly shifting.
0: I would probably say one of the biggest dynamics from when I started to where I'm at today is technology and the use of technology. Because when we started, I remember I had had one of my great mentors, uh, he's deceased now, uh, Mr. John Dennison, who was an avid leader, and, and he operated under a fax machine protocol. And you had to have a fax and, and we don't have faxes anymore. We have emails. And the fax was this, the quickest information you could get around the US was via fax. But today with technology and iPhones and, and, and emails, we can have these conversations you and I have in today, and it can be anywhere and everywhere in, in the click of a finger. And I think that's probably the biggest change is the speed in which we can get information to and from our growers from the different networks that we associate with. That's interesting. Yeah. that's. All right, that's it might not be the answer, you. No, would, but, but it's, it, I was thinking about that the other day about something about because we were waiting on a fax from D.C. I'll, I'll never forget it. We were in D.C. We were waiting on a fax from someone else to send back in some notes and it came up because Colin and I were visiting early because he and I, when he was in commodity, we traveled a lot together back in the day with some of that leadership. And that's how we worked. And, mm. and phone calls at six in the morning, you know, there was no Zooms, there was no Teams meetings. It was in person, across from the table with information. And the way things move today, the speed and access of that information is critical to be successful because. If you're in the legislature in Baton Rouge, things change every six hours mm-hmm. or sooner yeah but say quicker maybe so you got to be you got to be accurate and, and technology allows us to be on point and have better information for our producers That's also made for better better farming practices would you agree Oh technology has revolutionized everything I think I think the adaptation of technologies has it, it's in on pace to be significant. But unfortunately, one of the holdbacks is is to train traditional operators, new technology skills. And that's one of the challenges is conversion, traditional operators to technology pieces of equipment. And, and that's truly a, a labor issue as it relates to us. And for me, just to keep up with it to train some others, it's a difficult challenge at times. But technology is great. But it has to make you money mm. at the end of the day. Otherwise, you don't need to use it on the farm. And those are the dynamics you have to measure. And each operation is independent on that. Right.
1: I was going to say also, every operation is different. Like Everyone's there's different. not a single one-size-fits-all thing in any farming ever. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned in my job. You mentioned it being a tough year a minute ago. Harvest is over. You got a platoon coming. How how is how, had crops, how did crops how did crops fare this year down in Evangeline Parish, how would you say?
0: We had a tough year this past year, very dynamic, and, and it's a year of, of eccentric, I guess, change to a way, but hopefully it's, it, it, it evolves back. But So we, we had a rice harvest that had some water issues uh, with a lack of rainfall and the drought we went through and the extreme heat. That we had to, our crop was actually flowering, pollinating, and, and, and the nighttime temperatures have, have taken a toll on some of that on the quality side. Uh, Yield wise, we, we were about an average crop on the rice right side, uh, but we have some quality concerns coming off of it because of extreme heat we faced. Uh, that being said, the soybean crop was pretty much a disaster. Uh, when it doesn't rain for that long a period of time, the crop can only produce so much. Are you all dryland rice? We, uh, are, we, we had very little, very little way, but irrigate. Traditionally, we irrigate more, but unfortunately, the little bit of resource we had for water had to be applied to the rice to finish the crop. So we didn't have the water resources we can allocate to the other crop. We couldn't share. We just didn't have enough water. Mm. There is a concern with the crawfish production that's coming around the corner. You know, a lot of us are pumping right now and putting those lakes up that we could plan on starting to fish after the first of next year. Uh, The extreme drought and the depth of that drought in the burrows, we're not too sure what kind of damage or if any we had. Uh, We're fortunate we're able to get some. I, I do have some acreage we weren't able to crawfish and pump up because the water supply was not there, the one we use. I have some neighbors to the south of me that have some saltwater issues as it relates to availability of water, and those crawfish lakes are not being flooded. So we're going to see a dynamic shift, if you will. I don't know how the production numbers will finish, but we we got some challenges in the crawfish industry. So so as you as you look at the drought as a whole, it's it's affected every one of my crops and. uh and as I sit down and visit with the banker in this winter, we're going to have to, you know, tighten up the budget and look at some different things, and and uh, maybe ask for a little forgiveness here and there just to make things work. But
1: little, little grace goes a long ways, huh?
0: Well, and, and hopefully, it goes back to communicating. You know, you got to communicate. You got to share the issues, and and. And those are some real-time issues, and we got some some friends in the industry that are going to be struggling because of some of the environmental conditions we face this year.
1: Bankers are one of those that you did not mention earlier when you talked about the spider web, but that's that's one that comes to my mind is yeah. you're not farming without a good relationship with a good banker. yeah I mean I, I would think that's pretty true
0: no, I, I think when you look at the web and you look at the nucleus and and the financial sector is it's an integral part of that. And you know, whether it be equipment manufacturers and and the capital outlay as it relates to that, or on the other side, it might be production loans as it relates directly to your production cycle on that. you know That whole lending institution with, with regulators getting more involved and more strict, it's harder and harder for our financial folks to help agriculture. It's, it's a little more stringent, if you will, than it mm-hmm. was uh, probably 10, 15 years ago. But at the end of the day, you build networks, you build relationships, you build reputations. Those will take you through the rough times. But you have to do your part in the good times as well. So you got some fiscal responsibilities in there mm-hmm. that you have to meet. But no, those are definitely part of our our, our web, if you will, around the nucleus. And, and we couldn't survive without them.
1: Well, I really appreciate you, Richard. We need to wrap this up because you've got to get back to Evangeline Parish. Thank you for your time here on the podcast and all that you've given
0: to Louisiana Farm Bureau, all that you continue to give to Louisiana Farm Bureau. So. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And thank you to the Twilight team for articulating our message across the country and and, and abroad, if you will, because I know some goes, goes a little further. But you guys do a fantastic job carrying the water for us on a daily basis. Thank you all. Thank you, Mr. Richard, for joining
1: me and for giving me your time and also for giving your time to Louisiana Farm Bureau. If you would like to see some of the stories that we've referenced in this episode or learn more about the organizations like Louisiana 4-H and FFA, We will have links in the show notes of this podcast that you can go check out. Also, if you would like to start giving some of your time to Louisiana Farm Bureau, we have a link in the show notes to join Farm Bureau today. If you like this episode, please give it a like, a share, share it with a friend or family member that you think would enjoy this conversation. Also, subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now, and we will have fresh episodes every Monday right here for you. That's it for us here at the Louisiana Farm Bureau podcast. We'll see you again right here next week.